0: everybody welcome to the show hello we're gonna be talking about eileen <laughs> come on eileen you sound oh geez 80s reference you sounded like a carnival barker there for a moment eileen 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 Eileen. 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 a childhood was we not will, a dream we will not be <laughs> we will not be quitting our day Ah, uh, we okay. won't be <clears throat> yeah So we have watched the movie Monster recently, but we have also watched that in the past. At least I have. But most of this is going to be talking about the real story of Eileen Warnos or Lee, Lee, Lee. And I believe Kathy's going to start with a wee bit of her childhood. Man. I will say
1: that this woman went through some stuff.
0: Yeah. From Michigan too. Yeah.
1: Yes. So she, you know, straight out the gate, had a lot of sex, childhood sexual abuse, which I'm not going to go into all of that. Just it's just relevant to know that. Very much so. Her first experience of being sexually assaulted was as a child, not as a sex worker. That's
0: important to and know. It's, yeah,
1: it's really important to know because when you look at her story, at least from the film, and I, I also saw it a while ago and then rewatched it for this episode is when you watch it, it doesn't give you a lot of that early context. No. And it really is um, just a, like a snapshot in time. But if you really know about her life, the child sexual abuse clearly set her up. It damaged her, right? How could it not? And and we could look at how those traumatic experiences throughout most of her young life could play a part in developing whatever psychological state we decided to put her in, and there are a lot of different opinions around that. Mm-hmm. We know that her her biological mother left.
0: Three months old, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Like pre-verbal, never-knew-her type of deal.
1: That's right. And her grandmother ignored the sexual abuse that was by her grandfather. So
0: gaslighting. Yeah.
1: <laughs> We're just adding the things in. So she didn't have any healthy attachment, right? There was never a mother-daughter or a caretaker-daughter uh, bond for, as a young girl. So we know that that early fragmented neglectful attachment really doesn't allow someone to develop a healthy sense of love, intimacy, self, all of those things. She learned that it was much safer to just defend herself and to shut all of that away, to not attach. So then the damage was made worse because both Eileen and her brother believed that their grandparents were their biological parents but at the age of 11, they learned that this was not the case, which further damaged the relationship bond between Wernos and her adoptive parents. So we know that this also happened to Ted Bundy. Mm. That he thought mm-hmm. that his mother was his sister and his grandmother was his mother. And his grandfather, who did the majority of the abuse, thought he thought that was his father. And there's some suspicion that it was that he actually impregnated his own daughter. So the reason I bring that up is we know that identity, you and I have talked about just the concept of self and someone having a stable sense of who they are is so important in our for our mental health. Absolutely. So as she's developing and she's young and and moving into like her teenage years, adolescence, hormones all, this, she finds out that her, the identity her identity wasn't what she thought. Right. She starts to really begin her her criminal history begins at the age of 18 when she's arrested for driving under the influence uh, disorderly conduct and firing a 22 caliber pistol from a moving vehicle her crimes didn't start as a sex worker like i was saying at 20 at the age of 20 she hitchhikes to florida marries a 69 year old yacht club president Louis Gratzville. they marry quickly announce their nuptials, which were printed in the newspaper society pages. Wernos continually involves herself in confrontations at their local bar and and will just like these assaults will happen, right? She also ends up hitting Fell, her husband, with his own cane, leading him to gain a restraining order against her within weeks of the marriage. She goes back to Michigan, where on July 14, 1976, she's arrested again at Bernie's Club, Antrim County it's got to be a small town cuz i know michigan pretty well charged with assault and disturbing the peace for throwing a cue ball at a
0: bartender's head so you know she's angry yeah i want to add one one quick thing in there Warnos was born in 1956 and in 1963 her father had been in prison and her father uh, committed suicide in prison. And he was actually in prison for having sodomized a seven-year-old girl.
1: Mm,
0: so yeah, that's That's right. I'm sorry. The but father. You're right.
1: I forgot about that. I also want to mention on the heel of that, that um, in 1998, Wernos also attempted to take her life by shooting herself in the stomach. So between the ages of 14 and 22, she actually attempted suicide six times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for 10 years, she would continue to be arrested for theft resisting arrest, possession of a firearm, et cetera. So, you know, seed was planted early.
0: Yeah. And the situation, like if we were to have come in contact with her as an older teen, we would have diagnosed her with conduct disorder. Absolutely. Which is the precursor to antisocial, just, you know, and like that's a criminal trajectory. That's right not all of the people we've talked about on the show with regards to their crimes would fit that stereotype yep. let's say but she certainly does yeah and you know i
1: i just want to bring up this theory as we move into this discussion because i think we can apply it in different ways it, it, and it can coexist with borderline personality, antisocial, but sometimes we like to understand the etiology of things. And there's something called the Anomi theory that claims that social inequity and the feeling of injustice can urge people to commit crimes. Violating the law achieves equality. Another way to describe this is normal, normlessness. So Anomi theory is a sociological concept that describes a state of normlessness a disorder or confusion in a society when the standard norms and values are weak or unclear. So lack of social or ethical standards can lead to disconnection, deviance and social instability among individuals The concept was first introduced by French philosopher Jean-Marie Gaudet, but it was later expanded by French sociologist Emile Durkheim in his book, The Division of Labor and Society. Before, uh, I just want to say one thing, though, here, and I want to be very mindful of, of what I just said. The Anomi theory can also be used to pathologize folks who are marginalized. So I just want to be careful how I'm uh, suggesting this, because when you read that, it also looks like anybody who was marginalized becomes a criminal or becomes a psychopath. That is not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is when people feel that there won't ever be an opportunity to get justice or to get what they might see other people get and they are born into a situation where they don't have any deep connection or nurturing or whatever, this can lead to some of these behaviors. So it's not an all or nothing philosophy and it's just a theory. Our environment growing up plays a big part in who we become. Mm -hmm. So, and the things that are done to us and what we have accessible to us and not everybody has the same resources. So
0: yeah. And I think you make an important point that this is a sociological theory. That's right. And not fact and all of that.
1: It's just another thing to kind of think about how just her environment alone really set her up for failure.
0: Well, and I think we address that all the time in these situations, but we also have stated on numerous occasions that there are a lot of people that grow up in these kinds of different situations, horrific to mm-hmm. from the outside and don't don't do any of these things that's right so that's why it's just a theory yep (laughs) people are you know it's it's a psychologist sociologist the world the law everybody trying to make sense of it jean-marie gogill yeah (laughs) yeah i thought you were gonna say like now why i pronounce it that way is no that's not what you were gonna say
1: no no so eileen yeah. Eileen, Eileen, Eileen. <laughs> You're just
0: going to keep singing that song. Shannon. We, You want to move into the murders? Is that where we're going? Uh, well, of course we're going to move into those murders. <laughs> okay, because that's all I got.
1: Well, th- I'll say one more thing. In 1986 is where she meets uh, 24-year-old Tyria Moore, a, ho- a motel maid. That is actually the person who... Christina Ricci's character is loosely based off of. Yeah. I think um, Ty. Uh, they met at a Daytona Beach gay bar called Zodiac. They move in together, and and if you've seen the movie, this was portrayed in the movie by the character of Selby, who lived at home with her parents.
0: Well, and it's really interesting because 1986—that's the same year that Warnos was charged with theft and arrest and obstruction oh, yeah. of justice and all this other stuff. And, mess. And and Lee, meaning Eileen and Ty, they met obviously at this bar and a gay bar and which was true of like that representation in the movie is true but warnos was only six years older
1: yeah it wasn't this huge it wasn't this
0: like she absconded with a teenager type of situation Mm -hmm. which is what they do in the movie
1: no they cheapened it (laughs) for your viewing pleasure Yeah, they made it more dramatic.
0: They did. They added a whole B story around how Ty was like more of a helpless person being manipulated, which is interesting because I don't know that that would have been in any way accurate at all.
1: That's true because she was very young and she just wanted out of her house and that wasn't who this person was. Yeah, this person was 24 and...
0: A motel maid. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what her... She was a motel
1: maid. I heard you. Okay.
0: So, Warnos was murdered seven men within a 12-month period. That is like a fucking, she just went to town. Yeah, and as we have stated, she had always been involved in criminal behavior, and she had been a prostitute for quite some time since she was young. And all the men that she murdered were... Older. They were like between 40 and 65 65, or something like that. Mm -hmm. They were all people soliciting her for services is my understanding. And they were all motorists. You know, she'd get into cars. I mean, who wouldn't? Right. I
1: mean, these guys looked nice.
0: So this the first one that we know of is Richard Charles Mallory, who was 51. And this is the one, I believe, that she accused of sadistically anally raping her. Mm -hmm. And then there's this description, you can watch the court representation of this, where he then put rubbing alcohol into orifices her anus her nose he was gonna put in her mouth he was sadistically gonna kill her and she felt this is her story she felt as if he was going to kill her and from the way she portrays it and what we know about risk behavior and the way he was talking to her and what he was doing even though he was promising that if she did this this and this he wasn't going to you could tell that that he was going to and that rape was her story is that then she was trying to save her own life and she had a gun in her purse and so she killed him i
1: mean it makes sense
0: it's a powerful story and that story is represented in the movie yeah very effectively well and we know
1: uncomfortably we know that anyone not anyone but many women in her position may not have had the self-defense that she had learned for years from doing the stuff she did that to me it's it's certainly plausible.
0: Oh yeah, I don't right. I don't have any reason not to believe her really except that I don't know her, trust her, right understand you know like understand her psychology at all. But this is the story that she told and I'm guessing uh, that there was some proof to that, but I don't know. So then there was uh, David Andrew Spears, who's age 47. He was a construction worker and he was just declared missing and his naked body was found. You know, he'd been shot six times. So the way they portray it in the movie is as a trauma response. She's a sexually abused youth. She had been hooking for a really long time in her young life and Then all of a sudden she starts killing for 12 months before she confesses and and all of that. So it reads like this experience with Richard, her first victim, it reads like she had a trauma response and it tripped something inside of her that she was capable of. Not everybody would have that reaction. And then went about killing all of her Johns for 12 you know, like yeah. not all of them because she only killed seven men. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming she slept with and did her job for those 12 months and didn't kill everyone. Mm-hmm. But the way it's the way it's portrayed where, you know, shooting someone a bazillion times when you don't really need to doesn't feel – it's premeditated, but it's not meditated, you know? It's like – It's like a – it's very passionate. It's very passionate and it feels like – it's kind of like any serial killer where, you know, if we talk about Bundy, if we talk about whoever, before that ultimate ending escalation that gets them all caught and disorganized, there is usually some, some reasoning, some excuse they're giving themselves for killing that particular person. Mm-hmm. And that's really portrayed in the movie. Yep. They give a lot of empathy to her. She's Charlize p- portrays her very empathetically, which I think is very powerful. Mm-hmm but they do show you that she picks and chooses who she kills. And it's like this little test that's happening in the interaction. And if one little thing is said wrong or said the way sh- and she misperceives it, or she perceives it in a certain way, then she's going to shoot you a hundred times. Yeah, And that is the same as the way we understand many of the serial killers that we've talked about that are men, where they could go on dates or marry or have friendships with women that they don't do anything bad to, but then there'll be the one woman that says this thing or that thing or reminds them of their mommy or whatever. And that person becomes a victim. So it's very similar to me. No, it
1: is. And, or, or the other one, you know, the ones that aren't killed serve a different kind of purpose, like a Mm -hmm. purpose that actually is like a positive supply for them. So they don't want to do anything to get rid of them.
0: Right. And those are represented in the movie too. And exactly. those people really existed. There's, there's yeah. several people in documentaries about Eileen that have been interviewed that are, that are where the men in the movie were, were kind of drawn from as men that she was friends with. And-
1: yeah. Cause it, it's Bruce Jenner's character, right. In the movie mm-hmm. that they have a relationship, they have a, a very father daughter like relationship it seems anyway
0: yeah and there's a couple of other men in in her life that were similar in the sense that Mm -hmm. she was either getting something from them where they were helping her out or she would stay with them sometimes or money or jobs Mm -hmm. or whatever and you're not sure of the authenticity of the relationships and then yeah like there was no
1: need for murder murder
0: we have natural instincts to find caregivers in our lives that are that care for us. Mm -hmm. And so when we come across people that do that, we we want that. Oh, yeah. Regardless of our parents, our parents sicknesses. And that's right. And she had parents that that had some pretty horrible sicknesses, it sounds like. Yeah. But so then there was Charles, who was 40. He was a part time um, rodeo worker. And what's you know shot nine times so you see the there's a trend yeah yeah she would steal their cars uh next was peter his body was never found not sure how many times he was shot or what happened there troy who was some sort of salesman he was reported missing his body was found in a wooded area you know he'd been shot only twice then there was charles a us air force major and a former state child abuse investigator and a former chief of police, his body was found in Marion County. He was fully clothed and had been shot seven times in the head and torso. And then his car was found somewhere else. As represented in the movie, she would kill them and then take the car and the money mm-hmm. and everything and try Sometimes to. Sometimes the clothing. Yeah, and the clothing. Some and try to survive that way and get away with it. And in the movie, it's portrayed where this retired chief of police was really, you know. She fucked up. She killed a retired police officer, and then everybody got really yeah. interested in it. And then her and Ty's photos ended up, you know, yeah. police sketches. She had run a car into a house or something like that, and and oh, then there right. was a witness. Yeah,
1: and I think the way they play it in the film is that the the police clearly abusing his power and all that was just mm-hmm. um, really. You know you're fucking horror and this and this and that. Yeah, and you know law enforcement never protected her as a child too. Law enforcement was probably the ultimate evil to her.
0: I imagine the seventh victim was Walter, and he was shot four times, and the car was left, and his nearly naked body. So you get the yeah, you get the idea of any list of of. Victims that we've ever recounted on the show have similarities, and in in the way they were killed, and that is hmm. the way it went for Lee or Eileen. Eileen, mm-hmm. you want to sing it again? No,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to keep our listeners. I'd like to just talk a little bit about her mental health.
0: Sure, you bet.
1: And uh I think that this is complicated. Like all clients, I mean, like all folks are, we're all complicated. But, you know, to me, there's a clear borderline organization happening here Okay, with her. Whether she's has borderline or had borderline personality disorder, I don't know. But, you know, we're looking at someone who clearly responded to the... She was very triggered by rejection, abandonment, all of these things. She attached really quickly. You know, when we think about her that marriage to the 69 year old man and how fast that went. She's just very all or nothing had a very fragile or fragmented sense of who she was and her reactions and her responses to things. Just to me, if we're looking at just cluster B, antisocial mm-hmm. personality, borderline personality, narcissistic personality. There's other stuff in there, but to me, borderline screams the loudest to me.
0: I don't know if you agree, yeah, I agree. or disagree with just that. I agree, just also based on her childhood. And based on her childhood. Mother, father, abandoning emotionally, obviously, and physically. Mm-hmm. Grandparents then, you know, this ruse of where you're actually your parents never really goes over that well, but people do it all the time. And then telling her that, at 11, such an impressionable time. So I imagine she felt betrayed, uh, abandoned in that way, emotionally at least. Yeah. And then it goes about her life and becomes a hooker very early on. So yeah. maybe in search of something, but also in search of survival. I mean, most people who are doing that as a living are simply trying to make a living. For sure. Would you consider her a psychopath? It's hard to tell. Mm -hmm. I think she's got sociopathic tendencies. I think she's highly manipulative. Yeah, I do too. To me, it feels more like that. It feels like a sociopathic narcissism, but maybe even just a narcissistic defense. It's like so well-developed and so used constantly that, and then everything's operating at a borderline functioning level. So it's all chaos, all, all the time, all the time. Mm-hmm. And everything has to be heightened. It's either I am shoot, you know, you're the worst person in the world and you deserve to die. And so I'm going to shoot you 12 times or I, I love you so much. We have to run away together and I'll take care of you. And like that love bombing, I can imagine her gaslighting and love bombing and, and oh, all God. of that with yeah. her, with her yeah. primary people. Mm-hmm. So that's where that narcissism comes in. I really feel like the sociopathic narcissism and the borderline functioning, all of that would make it so that she was incredibly compelling if you were a vulnerable person. Mm -hmm. So that that reads like a lot of the serial killers we talk about, but not... But not from a psychopathic No, I don't think she was a psychopath. I think she has guilt. I think she has remorse. Mm-hmm. I think she understands what she did. I think she doesn't feel like she's more special than anyone else. No. So No.
1: I agree with all that. But yeah, we can definitely talk about her arrest. I mean, you know, in the movie, the mm-hmm. scene that you were talking about where mm-hmm. they crash that car, that's, that sort of begins the, mm-hmm. the search, right? Mm-hmm. Christina Ricci's character is driving the car. They're in some argument or whatever, and the car gets totaled, and the the house, the neighbors, whatever, they're like, you know, should we call the police for you? Should we call, you know, emergency? They're like, no, no, no. So they they walk away. And then the police end up getting a description from these folks. And this, yeah. like, leads to this massive
0: campaign for a search. Yeah, and they also found some of the belongings in... In the pawn shops, and and then um, she was arrested in a bar under the ruse, just like in the movie, under the ruse that you know they were luring out her outside and everything, and then and then she was arrested, and ultimately went to trial for the murder of the first victim, who was the one who anally raped her and was a sadist, and that whole story that she told, and for whatever reason, the judge allowed the admission of information about like the six other murders. And so that's really what sealed the conviction because I think if they had not allowed the information from the six other murders, there was a very strong case around self-defense and against Mallory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and all of that. And so,
1: yeah, cause Mallory was the first victim. That was the one that I guess he had had previous rape charges. Right. So that mm-hmm. would have been like, there's your smoking gun. She was assaulted. She killed in self-defense.
0: Yeah. And there were absolutely. And there were psychiatrists that, you know, testified that she was mentally unstable, diagnosed her with BPD, diagnosed her with antisocial, you know, all of that. And then, but then whatever, she was sentenced to death. Basically she was sentenced to execution and then was executed.
1: And the, the, the movie portrays this. I'm not sure how accurate it was, and maybe you know because I think you said you watched some of the docs and stuff on mm-hmm. where Ty's character who's Selby in the movie has to you know testify in court, and that whole scene was it was done very well in the film and it was very emotional. You actually feel bad for her. I did in that moment where mm-hmm. Selby has to turn against her um. Christina just, Ricci was so good. She's so good. And then just the the helplessness, the hopelessness that you all you know, it starts to hit her like that. She's coming out of that spiral, yep. that chaos, and it's starting to hit her like, oh no, this is happening. We like, come out of the fog. We've come out of the fog and, and I'm done.
0: Yeah. It, that was it was heartbreaking. I have no idea what happened in real life, but it was heartbreaking. And I do know that Ty did testify against her. So yeah. Part of that is Obviously true. I don't sure. know what yeah. Ty's reactions or mental state was like at the time. But, yeah, I watched the that filmmaker Nick Broomfield, who did a lot of uh, grittier documentaries for a while there. I actually don't know what he's doing now. I should look that up. Uh, it was a very interesting documentary because it went all into this woman that while Lee was in prison, that this woman that adopted her and this lo- her lawyer. There's just all these stories around who she began to get involved with while she was in prison. And this this woman, you know, this Christian woman adopting her and then taking money for interviews, like it goes on and on. The mm. stories just go on and on. And even though originally uh, Eileen had said that, you know, she every single person she killed either raped her or attempted to rape her, later she recanted that, saying that it was actually robbery self-preservation and needing to leave no witnesses behind this kind of thing so but because she picked and chose victims it does sort of it just speaks to there was something about that particular person that she wanted to annihilate but i'm just not sure so yeah i would never want to portray her as just a victim she is absolutely a victim Yeah, and a perpetrator. And a perpetrator, as so many of the folks that we talk about are. That's right. And also not an accurate historian. You cannot believe her. So that's why it's hard to come up with, Oh, oh, I believe this, or, Oh, I believe that about it is I don't believe any of it. (laughs) It's true. I don't believe any of it. So I just have to come at it from like, this is what's been reported. It's, I mean, all of it's feasible. Yeah. It's all feasible. It all tracks, you know, you don't know. And you don't
1: even know how much of it she, because she was such a pathological liar, Mm -hmm. how much of it she, she actually believed was the truth. Uh, You know, so we go back to thinking like we had that discussion around, Psychopath versus sociopath and and narcissism, borderline, all this stuff. Like when I'm looking at her, she was in such the throes of like just needing to survive. Mm-hmm. Right. She she wasn't a sexual sadist. She wasn't keeping things from her victims as trophies. She was keeping things from her victims to sell so she could continue to live. Yeah. So are very different motivations than we've that we've seen um in uh, than in some of these other serial killers that we've talked about right just she was very much just trying to fucking survive
0: yeah and it's very confusing because once she was on death row there's a lot of stuff that she said to cameras that she said in interviews that she reports happening in prison you know where Uh, a lot of paranoia that like her food and things she would taint the food they would taint the food you know they're trying to push me over the edge so i'll kill myself this kind of stuff and also you know she's taken interviews and said things like you know i'd kill again they're not going to keep me alive because they know i'd kill again and um I killed those men cold as, you know, cold as ice, I think was the quote. And, and I do it again. Like she said, a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff. So it, it's all very personality driven it is (laughs) it's all yeah so that's another reason why and and then she'd come up with these wild stories about how she was going to sell her story and make a lot of money and get out of jail and then she ended up being adopted by this woman in the neighborhood like it goes on and on the stories are amazing can you
1: imagine though the amount of fantasy that she had to create to not go crazy and what i'm referring to is children will do this if they've been in really abusive situations, is they have to create an alternate reality. And so her lying was really a defense against the truth. And from early on, she had to create her own... And and again, this is just an explanation. It by no
0: means is an excuse, but what she had to do, Mm -hmm. you know, to survive. And then it went in this direction, which, of course, not all trauma survivors... That's right. ...go in these directions. So...
1: That's what we got. Man. And Charlize and Christina Ricci. Yeah, the were movie. So
0: brilliant. Yeah, the this. movie's really good. I think Charlize was nominated or won mm-hmm. the Oscar or something like that. I think uh, she might
1: have won. I can look that up right now. I,
0: at the time, here's what I can tell you. Now, looking at it, you can think whatever. But at the time, Charlize was one of the most beautiful movie stars ever. And this movie, where she plays this woman and completely distorts herself physically on her her face, her hair, the way, you know, she gained weight, all of this stuff. It was, it was a mate, an amazing transformation at the time. Now we've seen Charlize do a lot of different roles. She's a woman of a certain age now, so she can do a lot of different kinds of things. But at the time she was like a young movie star who is like more gorgeous than 99% of the population. And then she did this role and really established herself as an, an actor and not just a movie star and it was it was pretty revolutionary. She I'll transformed. Tell you at the time. She transformed, and not just visually. No, because it, anyone can put makeup
1: on, and you can make a really pretty person look ugly, or look beat down, or look torn up, like Eileen Wernos was. She did end up winning the, the best actress award for this, and it was so well deserved. But it, it was it was so much more than her physical transformation. She brought the body language, the emotion, the the cadence in her speech, like you put them next to each other
0: and it's uncanny. Yeah. She established herself as a, as a very, very competent actor at the time. And to make the choice is more what I was speaking to, like to be the young starlet who's gorgeous and to make the choice to be, to take this role over the slop. I'm sure she was offered to be the beautiful person in was like inspiring and and very much I felt like some, you know, it changed my mind about who I thought she was. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So, but anyway, I recommend the movie. Not an easy watch. No. But an interesting watch. Not the feel good movie of the year. No, 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 no. It's, it's very. God, I can't believe this. That was 2004. Yeah. Yeah. A long time ago. 20 years I, ago. 19, 20, 20 years there. ago now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, everyone. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. We hope you enjoyed it. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.